everyone i'm back <laughs> back at home kind of probably feels to many people like i didn't leave because i did this a week ago and i was right on the nose a week ago and now i'm back doing it again but i have covered a lot of territory that's a bit of a pun a lot of distance since then i'm going to talk about that shortly i do want to do the sponsor bit first and talk about one password do you ever need to talk about one password everyone knows who one password is so one password still my favorite password manager and uh and some really really uh, interesting stuff i think that we'll see from them in the future as well particularly more of the hello CISO videos which i've been doing with one password so i hope we see a lot more of those it's still the tool where even I think the only time I haven't used 1Password each day was actually while I was just away and I literally had no Wi-Fi or 3G. That was a very, very interesting experience for me. It hasn't happened for a long time. But every other day, then when I actually need to be logging into stuff or pulling out my credit cards or looking up secrets or things like that, I still use 1Password. So thank you to them. Now, I do want to jump into it because I put a lot in my list today uh, and I know we've got a, a bunch of people joining in and saying g'day, and lots of different things to talk about. Uh, and uh, Burton, I think you've uh, you've sort of captured it there. So beautiful photographs for people that haven't seen it yet. I just pushed out a big tweet thread of photos from the from the holiday I just got back to, back to, back from. And uh, caveat first, I, I know that this is a time where a lot of people are stuck in places and just not able to go anywhere. A bunch of them here in Australia. If you're in New South Wales at the moment. Uh, you, you kind of can't go anywhere. And I feel particularly sympathetic for folks, including a bunch of friends of mine that are stuck in places that they just literally barely get out the door of. Uh, and it was only by good fortune more than anything else that we got to have a holiday at all, let alone go to somewhere totally awesome. Now, as I mentioned before, my plan A was to be snowboarding. Still at this moment, be snowboarding. Because yes, Australia does have snow. But like last year, that got cancelled due to COVID upticking. So what has uh, ended up happening here is we have ended up instead going the other direction, going north. Now, for folks not from Australia, if you picture Australia as like a little bit of a triangle, we're on the far right side. We were going to go down the bottom. Instead, we've gone all the way up to the top, up to the very aptly named Northern Territory. Now, I'd been to the Northern Territory once before over New Year's Eve, when Charlotte and I got engaged. So it was a little bit special in that regard, but we were pretty much at the very southern end of it. So that's where Uluru, which you previously may have heard of, referred to as Ayers Rock is. We went to the very northern end. So we went all the way up to Darwin, capital city of the Northern Territory. Not a big capital city, about 160,000 people in Darwin. And we just had a couple of days there that were just really sort of readjusted a bit of mindset. And I, and I think what I mean by that is we've been very fortunate here uh, in Queensland and particularly on the Gold Coast to have really had barely any restrictions whatsoever around COVID. The harshest restrictions we've had is we sort of had a, a week of lockdown this year, a little bit more year before, and I could go out into my backyard and paddle around on the waterways in the sunshine. It was still beautiful. Uh, we, we have to wear a mask at the moment if you're indoors, but otherwise pretty normal. But it, it sort of has changed. Northern Territory, not so much. Everything is very, very relaxed in the Northern Territory. Now, I'm trying to picture ways of saying this that aren't going to upset people. 
But if I was in the Northern Territory, no one would give a shit because it's just a very, very down-to-earth, kind of like a, a, a place that political correctness forgot to, to some extent. I think it is changing a little bit, but it's a very, very Crocodile Dundee sort of place. Now, they've also had very good fortune. So very, very few instances of COVID. When I looked it up earlier today, there's been a total of 200-something cases out of, uh, out of their entire population since the beginning of the of the pandemic now that's not just the population of darwin at 160,000. i think the whole northern territory is some number of hundreds of thousands 200 something it's still not a big place quarter of a million call it uh, zero death as well so they've um they have dodged that bullet so far so we managed to get there without anything locking down here or there and like once you're out of the airport it's just like holy shit it's like it's all normal again yeah uh, I literally did not see another mask until I got back to the airport again. So, you know, uh, Ubers and taxis and things were perfectly normal. Um, I had to scan uh, into venues. Like, okay, that's fine. This really doesn't change much. Uh, and then we, we didn't realize it. And this is all in the tweet thread with videos and photos and things. But uh, it, was, it was kind of amazing that we could go down to the beach to effectively like a rave party with a DJ, with the kids too, at the end of winter, it's still winter, 34, 34 degrees Celsius it was, <laughs> end of winter. And, you know, we're there on the beach with masses and masses of people, which relatively speaking is probably a lot from the Northern Territory, watching an epic DJ with the F-18 flying overhead because it's Territory Day, so celebrating, then fireworks over the water. Northern Territory is one of the few places in Australia you can still let off your own fireworks as well on Territory Day. Uh, not something we did, maybe a lost opportunity, but kids so that was pretty awesome and then just like hanging around the pool going for nice walks just I, I love hot temperatures so for me like 34 degrees is just just awesome um walking around sitting outside eating nice foods nice beers like all the all the good stuff darwin's one of the the few places in australia that were actually came under attack in world war ii as well it's just looking at some figures there i think they they basically got bombed more than everywhere else put together because it is at the very top northern end. And, of course, that was closer to enemy forces in this part of the world at the time. So there's some interesting history there. So I did all that and then got on a little plane, got on a Cessna 310, which really fit the four of us in a very small remaining seat, and flew out to the edge of Kakadu. Now, Kakadu is Australia's largest national park, 20,000 square kilometres for Kakadu. And you get on this little plane and you fly out like in the middle of nowhere and it was the smallest plane the kids had ever been on. I'd been on a couple of light aircraft a long time ago. Uh, it was been quite a while for me. I think Charlotte had been on one before and it, like she was mostly all right until we got towards the end of it and it's the yawing, you know, it's like the side to side rotation, which was really weird. But anyway, you're sort of flying through the middle of the outback. Uh, and there's just lots of red dust, lots of, there are lots of rivers and, and wildlife, etc. as well. And then you like you land on this airstrip where it does feel like if you've ever seen Crocodile Dundee, it feels like the start of there where that reporter goes and just lands in the middle of nowhere and you get out of it and there's just like a, like an old Land Rover with no windows, <laughs> you know, and that's your transport. But we went to a place called uh, Bamaroo Plains and I've, I've got the, the name of that in the tweet thread there, which is... Which is, I guess, it's it, it, it's an eco lodge. It's very eco centric. I know people are going to get upset about some of the photos I posted, but I'll talk about that in a moment. Everyone's going to get upset about something sooner or later. <laughs> it's a very eco centric lodge. There's a very small amounts of power. There's no air conditioning anywhere. 
So yes, it's 34 degrees, but then the places you stay in, they basically have no walls on the sides. They just have like a mesh that you can see out of, but not back into. So you go in there, the breeze flows through. We really weren't hot at all. There's fans on the roof as well. And you just see like all the water buffalo. So it's, it's a working buffalo farm. All the wallabies. You hear so much weird shit during the night. <laughs> like, was that a bird call or a velociraptor? I don't know. Like, it all sounds very similar after a while. Uh, so you're sort of sleeping there, being able to hear absolutely everything. So many things scurrying through. Uh, I saw one snake. I saw three crocodiles. Um, and, and that one snake was actually coming out from our little hut as well, which was, um, it was non-venomous. I'm pretty sure it was a python. Pretty sure. And then we just sort of spent a huge amount of time hanging around the, the pool there. As again, this photos out in the tweet thread. I, I think uh, maybe two days ago, I forget. <laughs> we went to the pool at like 11.30 in the morning, went and had lunch for about an hour, and then basically just didn't leave until almost 7 p.m. and just spent the entire time sitting around the pool reading a book I'm going to talk about in a moment because it is very tech-relevant, uh, having, having some nice drinks because you could just sort of go into an open bar did get a bit dangerous by the end of it, but it's like, hey, you know, don't go over the other side with the crocodiles if you have a few too many. Um, but basically, I spent a lot of time lazing around. You'll see there's heaps of photos in there, like kids looking at stuff with binoculars because you're right on the edge of a floodplain. And it's like there's there's you in the infinity pool in the open bar, and, and then there's an edge, and then there's the crocodiles, right? So, <laughs> so it was just this amazing, amazing experience. Uh, and it it sort of involved doing all of that and then going out on on safaris. Now either they'd take you in the in the the old ranges with no windows and you'd stop and do a bunch of bird watching and things like this. Well, the two other things, and this is where I suspect some people will question the eco characteristics, is uh, airboats and quad bikes. Now the airboats, in case you've ever seen an airboat before, you would have seen it on like a James Bond or something, I'm sure. But these are made for environments like, uh, probably like places in, in Florida, I imagine. I've never been to Florida where they have a lot, of, uh, a lot of reeds and a lot of water, which might be very shallow, and you cannot get a propeller or, or like a, a jet boat or anything like that in there. So if you have to get through that area, what do you do? So flat bottom, big vared engine, massive fan on the back, noisy as hell, and then it just blows air. And then it's just got a couple of fins on the back of the fan to direct the way the air goes. They were epic. Oh, that was so much fun. Because they go sideways too, they drift. Now, I didn't get to drive, but we're sitting there like just drifting sideways at 60k an hour. I literally checked on my GPS because like, how fast is this? It's hard to guess. So they were good. And then the quad bikes, similar sort of thing. Like the quad bikes, because they're a lot smaller and sound like a rangey, they can get to places that you just can't go otherwise. Uh, and yes, they burn fuel. Uh, yes, that's the only way you can get to different spots. Oh, some people are going to be upset about it, but... It was amazing, and it just gave us a, a completely newfound appreciation for Australia. It's uh, Australia is, is such a, a diverse place. I mean, the, the very fact that we were up there at 34 degrees C with the crocodiles going through the floodplains at exactly the same time we were meant to be down there snowboarding on, like, Australia's highest peak at negative whatever degrees Celsius it would have been at the time. Uh, like, that's the diversity that we have here. For the friends in Australia, if if you get the opportunity, like just just go to the NT. Everything I've seen in the NT has just been so different to everything else I've seen in Australia, uh, and j just the the richness of the wildlife is is what's totally blown us away. Um, the the inhospitability 
<laughs> of a lot of it as well, particularly when we did that drive through to Uluru. Like, that was just amazing. Uh, and if you're overseas, like, come to Australia. It's, it's a long way, <laughs> pretty much everywhere other than New Zealand. But try and see that bit. Like, that bit was just spectacular. The, the, the time that we actually had in uh, in Kakadu was it was really only three nights. Uh, and it's it's about a four and a bit hour flight from Brisbane here to Darwin, and then it was about 30 minutes on the light plane. So it's something you can sort of get to in half a day as well. And it was really just just crazy amazing out of this world. I'm going to read some of the comments because I can see a bunch of people chiming in here. Uh, so Burton, yes, that was that was the photos. If you haven't seen them already, go and have a look at them after this live stream because it was epic. Um, someone's talking about one billion requests. We're going to get onto that shortly. Uh, Websites that break the login via one password, we don't like though. Yeah, well, if, if they break the login because, well, that they've got different problems. Uh, where else are in here? So, mm-hmm. Brandon Webb, Troy, is that a watch face or a green answer button I see on your watch? Uh, I don't think it's an answer button. No one's calling me at the moment. That's a, that's a, I have well and truly closed on my exercise ring today because I went out for a good bike ride with, with my son, which was cool. Stephen says, Ayers Rock, you mean Uluru, I hope. Now, I did say, very consciously, Stephen, I said Uluru. Some people may have known it as Ayers Rock. You can play this back later on and check. I'm right. For folks wondering what he's talking about, we certainly when I was growing up as a kid, it was always Ayers Rock. And then there's been a much greater recognition of the traditional landholders, which, of course, have been the Aboriginal folks originally, uh, and using their name for Uluru, which is, or their name for Ayers Rock, rather, which is Uluru. So that is the way we try and refer to it these days, out of respect for those folks. James, got the boat ride where they fed the crocs, I hope, a metre above you watching watching below on the boat. Um, we did do a boat ride in uh, in December in in Cairns where there was uh were they feeding the croc and no, I think we we're watching crocs there I, I guess it's one of those things where you there's a lot of discussion about are you upsetting the natural flow of the, the habitat and again I'm sure some people will be upset that we were there on jet boats <laughs> no not jet boats air boats I'm probably be upset with jet boats as well uh, but but sort of the, I guess the paradox of this is that even the water buffalo are like introduced they've come from somewhere in Southeast Asia I can't remember where they said so they're like an introduced species but then all the crocs are obviously native but then you're like trying not to introduce like foreign foods and things like that into the environment because everything seems to be pretty much in equilibrium at the moment anyway great uh, particularly for the kids like really great to kind of see that part of the world too so as I remember doing Kakadu when I was a kid, poor little plane got buffeted by the thermals on the return trip. <laughs> yeah, that was a little bit of that. Um, uh, what else we got in here? Yeah, you'll see I'm referring to rustic a lot there. Uh, Brendan says, it's 2021, Troy, who doesn't get upset these days? Oh, lots of people. I tend to find now when people get upset with me, why did someone get upset with me on Twitter about the other day? I think I'd posted something nice and they were upset because their life wasn't great at the moment, which of course is true for many people, and they wanted to express how upset they were at my happiness. So I sent them a link to my Guitar Lessons blog post. <laughs> Some of you have seen that, just Google it. Anyway, there's that. Uh, what did I say here? All I heard is pool and water. Um, this is Kay Borgie. Very rustic. You'll have a look. You'll see. New Zealand would be good. I've still got a get back to New Zealand. I have fortunately had a couple of trips there, but it'll be a new one for Charlotte and the kids when we can do that. Uh, Stephen certainly once got to see the interior is eight years old. Definitely, definitely, definitely worth a trip back. 
So the, the other things, just for the folks that are interested in my remaining Australia list before we have the opportunity to travel overseas again, uh, Tasmania. I have not been to Tasmania. It's the one state I haven't been to. I really want to get to Tasmania. I'm hoping to do it maybe December, January time frame. I'm kind of keen to go to Broome, which is far northwest, which just looks like epic water. A lot of sharks, but the water looks nice. Camels on the beach, all this sort of stuff. So I hope I get to do that as well. Uh, and then I think I've done all the all the major ones. And then there's just like lots of other little bits. So particularly when you go to a nice spot like we've just been at and you meet other people who enjoy traveling, they tell you about all these other places. In fact, that's how we heard about this one when we were at Uluru in, in January. People going, oh, you got to go to Bamaroo in Kakadu. So that's how we got there. So there'll be more. And then, of course, the world will open up and then there's a, a very, very big list. Burton says, did you take your Sony camera with you for photography? No. So every single photo I took that's in that thread, in fact, I took exactly 400 photos and or videos. Uh, every single one of them was taken with my iPhone 12 Pro, which I realized the other day is actually not faring so well. And the reason I realized, I looked at the back of it and I was like, oh, there's, there's some cracks there. And I, I won't take the back of the cover off right now because if I do, all the shattered glass on the back of it falls out. So I am eagerly awaiting the launch of the iPhone 13 sometime in the next few weeks. Uh, and then I'm even thinking about going back to a Max device just to have the larger device, which, uh, which did have the image stabilization for the camera in the 12 as well. And then I'll get this one fixed and figure out what to do with it. So no, no Sony camera, all iPhone. Okay, I mentioned a book. Let me move on to the next thing. Ugly truth. Now, here's the first ugly truth. This is the first book I've read in years. <laughs> Someone saw me reading this at, uh, at Kakadu. And they were saying, in fact, it's, I think I was reading and Charlotte was reading and the kids were like there reading books or looking at the binoculars. And they're like, oh, you're such a good, you know, nice to see a family there relaxing and reading. Uh, I saw you reading The Ugly Truth and I was like, yeah, The Ugly Truth is I just don't tend to read books anymore. Because there was no Wi-Fi and because there was no cellular... I picked this book up literally in the airport. No, no, I actually picked it up when I was wandering around in Darwin because I was like, hey, we're going to Kakadu tomorrow. I'm going to have no signal or anything. And I really consciously wanted to stay offline as well. <laughs> so I didn't have a choice, but stay off the devices. So I got a physical book. Now, this is super interesting. And I, I did actually want to talk about the contents of this uh, because I, I think it is very relevant to what a lot of us lot of us do and the things that we're involved in in our everyday lives now i have not finished this i had really two days it's a 332 page book and i somehow got through 204 pages which is a real miracle for me but this is super interesting so it's about facebook and particularly uh the byline here is inside facebook's battle for domination and it, like I, I knew it was going to be a a, a bit of an anti-facebook book uh which which is fine. There's, there's probably quite a lot to be anti about, which is what I kind of want to talk about. But I also think there's some really interesting things that came out of it in terms of understanding some of the mechanics of, of what went on with really significant events in Facebook's history. But, but also, I found myself coming away with different ugly truths about our dependency on these services. Now, to, to the point in the book, a lot of it's obviously about Zuckerberg. A lot of it's also about Sheryl Sandberg, uh, Facebook's COO, who was very famous for uh, writing books like Lean In and being a very sort of strong, independent, successful woman, but also copying a lot of criticism for various things as well. And a bunch of that's covered in here. And it, it sounds like neither Cheryl or Mark 
really wanted to contribute anything to the book. So there's always going to be a little bit of a bias in the reporting. But the bits that I found really interesting, and I do think this is a great one to read for folks that are sort of interested in reading it all or, or the mechanics behind some of these big services. The bits that were really interesting is there was a lot of stuff around Russian influence and really Facebook not understanding the impact of Russian influence uh, and, and how much that impacted things like the 2016 election in the US. There's a lot in there about Alex Stamos. Many people in this industry know Alex or know of Alex. He's a very highly regarded guy. He was Facebook CISO uh, during that incident. He comes across looking pretty good in here. Really feels like they chucked the guy under the bus. What I think is particularly fascinating is as they as they sort of uncovered the extent of Russian influence, effectively the leadership going like, how the hell did we not know about this? And then also being in this situation where it's like not only has there been this massive Russian state-sponsored influence, which has been pretty definitively proved, but then there's been this, this this crazy situation where Trump actually got elected when no one expected that to happen. And they get left in this situation where it's like, if we talk candidly about Russian influence, then it looks like the Russians influence the election, which is effectively counter to what Trump's saying. But if we don't say that, then it looks like we're being evasive. And there's just some really, really interesting politics at play that I never really gave a lot of thought to at the time. Uh, then, of course, there's a lot around things like this, this whole sort of debate of of free speech, like how free should speech be? How much moderation should there be? And, of course, in more recent times, there's been a lot of a lot of issues around this with the emergence of things like Gavin Parler, who say they're free speech, but of course they're not completely free speech because every single platform will censor things at some point in time. But, you know, how much free reign should they give people? And, and there's sort of bits in there where, where Zuckerberg is, is effectively saying, well, you know, that's, to, to some extent it is up to people to decide how they're going to communicate with each other. But then when these platforms are used to influence opinions in, in ways that are very destructive, that, then that, that is of great concern. Uh, having situations with, uh, with genocidal sort of activities in, in Myanmar was one of the things that came up quite a bit in here. You know, like how do, they, how do they sort of stop the spread of disinformation, which happens so frequently, particularly when it persecuted minorities? How do they stop the spread of that especially once you get to a country which might have 50 different dialects of the same language. It's not like you can have like one moderator sitting there. And then, of course, all the privacy implications around that as well. And I think, if anything, it just sort of gave me a much better appreciation for how complex this machine is. And, and I feel like the goal of the book has sort of been to show, look, Facebook's just always after world domination and, and trying to screw everyone else. And they're publicly listed companies. It's like, well, they are going to try and make a lot of money, but I don't genuinely feel like many of the things that we've seen that, that the press has been very critical about are necessarily by design. And I feel like a lot of them possibly come from poorly thought out implementations. For the most part, Zuckerberg comes across as the tech guy who's just been very interested in the product and making things at work. And then Sheryl Sandberg comes across very much as the person who wants to monetize the service and turn it into a profitable company ultimately in the interest of shareholders, which, which again is what companies do. I felt that the things that were 
so far, 200 pages in, not said that we're a much more interesting ugly truth is that regardless of all that stuff, and of course there's all the Cambridge Analytica stuff and this sort of thing in there as well, regardless of all that, people keep using it. So is, is the ugly truth that we just don't care? Like we don't care about the world domination goals or the privacy impact. Is, is that the ugly truth? Like we don't care enough to stop using it. I use Facebook quite actively, not the last few days, but up until then, quite actively. And I feel that I'm happy with that trade-off because it gives me something back. Now, maybe again, the ugly truth is that I'm willing to give up on parts of my privacy in order to get that. The, the other ugly truth, and, and this was a really interesting one, I was a bit in there, and I'll get the institution names wrong, where effectively it's, it's like an institution of human rights are saying to Facebook, look, you guys have a heap of information that would help us prosecute those who are committing atrocities and crimes against humanities and all the rest of it in parts of the world. And again, mind mail is one that keeps coming up. And Facebook effectively fell back to lawyers and said, you know, due to privacy and everything else, we can't hand that information over. And I, I think the ugly truth there is that I suspect that they have, well, we know they've got teams and teams of lawyers that would fight against these things on all these sorts of legal bases. So, you know, perhaps the ugly truth is that lawyers keep making a mess of things. Um, certainly, in, in my experience, dealing with organizations and data breaches, most of the time when things go to hell, it's because of lawyers. <laughs> and when I, when I say go to hell, it's like poorly communicated breach disclosure notices or withholding information about the total impact on people because lawyers and PR folks as well are trying to minimize damage. Anyway, look, I think it's super fascinating, regardless of your view on Facebook, love it, hate it, anything else, to, to get that insight. And it is an extraordinarily well-written uh, book as well. Uh, I think it's, it's well worth a read. And if I learn anything else super interesting in however long it takes me to finish the next hundred something pages, I'll come back and update you on that. Moving on, Stephen Jones, iPhone 13, unlucky for your wallet. Business expense, mate. <laughs> That's definitely a business tool. Um, Uzak, Uzak, <laughs> hi from Darwin. I did see a tweet earlier on as well. I know you're you're up there in Darwin. Sorry, I didn't stop and say <laughs> hello. I had a short amount of time, but uh, yeah, you live in a super awesome place, mate. Well done. Okay, Borgie, what's the book's name again? It is an ugly truth. Uh, it only came out this year too. I, I did see it mentioned a little bit in the press, so uh, it, it is um, it is still quite newsworthy at this time. Uh, this industry, a lot of stuff's going to change very quickly. So maybe read it whilst it's still relevant. Brendan says, just got off the phone with my dad who has a different symptoms, two of which are fever and migraines. I'm going to get off the phone early and rest. Uh, that's probably different to what we've been discussing. But yes, that sounds like a good idea and get tested. Always get tested. Um, family quarter. Uh, well, lawyers always make a mess of 99% of things. Um I don't even want to talk about lawyers at the moment. I, yeah, anyway, let's talk about Scott and Peyton trolls and lawyers because we're going to be back on lawyers again. So Scott Helm had um, had a lovely experience here. Now I, I just need to make sure I read from his tweets and from his blog post and not just go off the top of my head because we had multiple discussions ourselves about this and I'm not sure how much of it is meant to be public or not. Title of his blog post here is, I turned on CSP and all I got was this crappy lawsuit. Now, the, the TLDR here is that CSP's content security policies are something that are very dear to our heart because this is really 
a cornerstone of what Report Your Eye does. We have a service which allows you to use a content security policy to report on violations and we aggregate them together and we put nice graphs on it and give you alerts and things like that. Scott is arguably one of the most uh, preeminent CSP people out there on the web and there's not much Scott doesn't know about CSP. And when people have things that happen that are interesting around CSP, they tend to get in touch with him. So Scott had people reach out. And I guess the, the nuts and bolts of it are they'd been contacted by a patent troll. Now, I was explaining to Ari this morning, Ari's nearly 12, about what a patent troll is. Now, just in case you've never heard the term, someone either buys an existing patent or goes and patents something that exists already and goes out and tries to sue other people who may be using a technology which is similar to this patent. It is a severely frowned upon practice, uh, A, because they're assholes, and B, because they're assholes. Now, a bunch of people got these letters from a company here called Datawing. Now, you've never heard of Datawing. I know you've never heard of them because I'd never heard of them. And it's not that I know everything, but no one's ever heard of them. It's just this company's just popped up out of nowhere and gone, hey, we've got a patent. And the letters they sent to people were not directly threatening legal action, but obviously implying that this is something that they should be paying for. Now, it is a shakedown, uh, without question, when you look at what was in the letter. They were trying to intimidate organizations that might be using what is effectively just a CSP nonce. Nonce is a number used once. A CSP nonce is something that we might return in a response header and then we return the same nonce as an attribute on a script tag and then anything in that script tag is allowed to run. It's a way of effectively allowing any untrusted, inline, unsafe script block on the page. It's either that or a hash, but another story. I don't think they're trying to patent the hash. They clearly targeted small companies. There are other companies that use this technology quite extensively, companies like Google. Now, you can imagine if Google got a letter like this, they'd just turn around and squish this company like the little bug that it is. Little companies, though, not so much. So they tried to intimidate. Scott got in touch with the EFF. I think I can say that. Did you say EFF in here? Yes. Cool. Got in touch with the EFF. Uh, got some support from folks there and effectively managed to go back to this company and get the thing squashed. Uh, so it didn't look real good for this company or the guy responsible for it. Now, I, I don't know if I'm actually going to name the guy here <laughs> for one reason, you'll, which will become apparent in a moment. Uh, but another reason, because this person effectively looks like they just created a Twitter account out of the blue just to engage in this discussion. But clearly, this was just a shakedown for cash. Now, all of this was just over a week ago. So I probably could have spoken about it a week ago. But it's kind of evolved a little bit while I've been away. In fact, Scott got in touch with me. When I, one of the first things I saw when I turned my phone back on when I had signal is he's like, holy shit, look at this. Um, let me just read from his tweet here. Uh, <laughs> Fair dealings in the UK reviewing Christmas. Long and short of it is he got a DMCA takedown because he included a screen grab or a photo or a scan of a letter that the patent troll was sending that had the guy's signature on it. So he got DMCA takedowns. Now, I'm just trying to read carefully from his tweet, so I only repeat what's in his tweets, not the things that he sent me privately. But effectively what it looks like is the takedowns were successful against removing something from Google. Uh... So this is removing the, this person's signature. Somehow 
he thinks his signature's protected. When I say signatures, I like a digital signature. It's like one of the scrawly ones. And then Scott's gone through here and he said, look, here's all these web archive uh, copies of what was taken down. Also, here's the guy's signature in a publicly available document. The guy also went after his tweets. But as Scott said here, turns out he went after my tweets too. But Twitter didn't see an issue, so they remain laughy face, which I think is fair. <laughs> it is a laughy face kind of thing. Here's the guy's signature. It's there in a tweet. I wonder if it does call into question the whole thing about are, are signatures, are they personal information? Are they sensitive PII? Not sensitive PII. It's not like your religious affiliation or sexuality. It's, it's literally something that you give to other people in order for it to be. The only way a signature ever works is someone else has to see it. <laughs> that's, the, that's the whole design of it. Uh, anyway, this is just a whole dumpster fire from top to bottom. And it's worth reading later on in more detail. I've got to read the updates here on the signature. This is ridiculous. Let's see what the comments here say. Um, Stephen says, should do a joint vid with Scott about that. I'm sure Scott would be very happy to do a vid about this. Wow, okay. Uh, Nick007, did you hear that US 20-something that claimed responsibility for the T-Mobile breach? No, I have missed that. If you uh, if you wouldn't mind tweeting that and and mentioning me, I would love to have a read of that because I'm now going to go catch, through all this, catch up with all the stuff I've missed in recent times. Stuart here, now we're talking about script lock and data wing and everything. So script lock is the technology that these, these guys, I think it's just this guy, this one person patented. Uh, Best bit was the SIG is in public domain anyway. Exactly. This is the whole point. Guy signs something that ends up in company's house, which, of course, are all the companies in the UK who are registered have to submit a whole bunch of things, and it is publicly searchable for a heap of information. Steven says, almost like signatures are out of date as a thing. Most ones you see in letters and companies aren't even real. It is, it is a rubbish thing. I, I joke with the kids. I've got to sign my daughter's... Um, my daughter's homework diary every day. And I'm like, sweetie, can I just teach you how to do my signature? Like, it's really, my signature is just a, just a scroll. I'll teach you how to do it. Knowing full well she's not meant to, but also knowing full well they really couldn't tell the difference. And equally, knowing full well that if they were serious about it, there are much, much better ways of actually doing any sort of signature. I love things like DocuSign. I still laugh that even in DocuSign, when you sign, it puts a scroll. You know, it's literally like... It, it's just not Comic Sans, but whatever like the scrawly kind of version of a font is. It is a remnant of a bygone era and it should die in a fire. Brennan says, something's in the public domain. In my eyes, it's no longer considered private. One would think that, but DMCA requests are, are a weird sort of thing too, particularly given it was like, all around copyright and protecting media. So for it to then to be used to take down something like a signature and a whole bunch of other weird stuff has been used to take down in the past as well. But they do seem to have teeth. It does seem that when a DMCA takedown request is issued, the onus does fall back onto the respondent to have to try and justify why they have the thing. And in my experience, many organisations, and I haven't, when I say my experience, I haven't ever been directly affected by this, but from what I have seen, uh, it does always seem to be that the plug gets pulled first and questions asked later. So I'm glad that Twitter didn't waver on that. And to the to the point that Scott's making here in his tweets, there's a lot of stuff here that's on like archive.org anyway, which is good. Happy days. Next thing, pwned passwords has hit one billion. 
requests. In fact, more than 1 billion. I hit 1.01 billion requests when I fired up my laptop on the plane yesterday and I hit the refresh button and I saw it, 1.01 billion requests in the last month. Uh, and just to make sure that it hadn't gone backwards at least too far, I literally just loaded up again just before this this uh, this live stream. And, and keeping in mind that it always looks at a rolling month. So if, if the last day was a little bit quieter than the day that just dropped off the previous month, uh, then the numbers could go down. It is now sitting at 1 billion exactly. Unless I've just changed the precision on the Cloudflare dashboard. I wonder if that's possible because I did have two decimal places before. Anyway, let's just call it a billion plus, which I'm enormously happy about for, for many, many reasons. And in all honesty, I think one of the, the biggest things I'm really happy about is that this is just totally free. Everyone has access to it. It's easy to integrate. It's part of the whole bit that's been open source. We're making great progress on the ingestion pipeline for the FBI feeding data. And if you don't believe me, it's all open source. You can go and look at it in GitHub. And it is, it is just goodness from top to bottom. Everything about it is, is happy juice. <laughs> that sounded really bad. Everything about it I'm really happy about. So I'm just super stoked to see what is ultimately just an arbitrary number. But, you know, it's like it's, 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 another, it's another figure, another position on the number. And that is just a huge amount of usage. And as I said in the tweet that I, I pushed out just before as well, like massive, massive thanks to Cloudflare on this because this is only possible because they give me this stuff for free. So everything that Poem Passwords is running on, they provide as a community service. And they also, via Jannard Ali, who has since left Cloudflare some time ago actually, but he was the guy who implemented and designed the Canonimity implementation, which has helped drive it to this level. So Cloudflare deserve massive respect for that. They have also managed to serve, of that exactly 1 billion requests I'm seeing on the dashboard now, 994.89 million of them from cache. So that is a 99.5% cache hit ratio. So 99.5% of the time, someone creates this service and they're not going back to their origin website in the West US data center. They're going to somewhere really, really close, probably within about 10 milliseconds of them. And that's making this service particularly easy to implement, like literally in line. I do always tell people, like, fail fast <laughs> on this. You don't want to stop someone logging in because poem passwords can't be reached. Fail fast. But it's making it so fast that people can integrate it. And, of course, because it's replicated out to Cloudflare's edge nodes as well, we've got massively high availability. I, I cannot think of the last time someone said, hey, I made a request to poem passwords and it didn't work. I'm just really, really stoked about this. Really, really stoked about it. I gotta, I gotta have a beer after this. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna do. Someone asked me a while ago. They're like, "What are you gonna do when you hit a billion?" So I don't know, have a beer. So I shall do that. I've literally been drinking water. Hmm. All right. Let's read the comments here on this. Uh, lots of uh, awesomes and congrats on this. Um, <laughs> Brendan, grab your most expensive alcohol. It's time to celebrate. I think my most expensive alcohol at the moment is... I think the most expensive alcohol I've got per unit at the moment is probably still some of that 18% beer that I, I really don't feel like having right now because you don't go a long way on an 18% beer. But that's probably the most expensive one there at the moment. Uh, Brendan then says, of course, what criteria is used to judge a best alcohol? I'm sure there's probably some champagne or something in there. It's not too early or late for champagne. I might be okay. 
Martin says, just checked your holiday pics on Twitter on an awesome journey. I'm glad you could enjoy some time with your family in these times. Totally. Thank you very much for that, mate. I really appreciate it. Uh, that is good. Um, is it, uh, Brenda says, is it normal for the video to pause after double pressing a vol up button? Oh, who knows? <laughs> Not my problem, mate. That's your problem. Stephen says, could you imagine the Azure bill if Cloudflare didn't cache it? Now, this is a really interesting question, actually. What would the Azure bill be like? I'll give you the easy part of the answer. One of the things that Cloudflare makes a very, very significant difference with in terms of caching is bandwidth. Now, if I look at the traffic from pwnedpasswords.com, so this runs as a totally separate entity to haveibeenpwned.com. So the traffic from there, where is our bandwidth? I think I actually have to go through to... Uh, data transfer, 1.9 terabytes worth of data in the, in the... Oh, shit, that's in the last 24 hours. Why is that so high? Wow. What's what's the last month been? It's probably going to be about 30 times that, isn't it? All right, that's loading. But here's where I'm going with this. Uh, the traffic is a massive, massive cost. And the reason it's... About, yeah, it's about 32, 32 terabytes, of course. The reason it's a massive cost is... Go to the Azure calculator and have a look at what 32, let's just do it, 32 terabytes of egress data, uh, Azure calculator. Now, just whilst this is loading, at least last time I looked at it, it was a long time ago, admittedly, the bulk of data transfer was due to downloading the hash sets, which are big. They're about 11 gigabyte. I do zip them, but they're large. Now, I don't know how much, here we go, bandwidth, how much bandwidth the actual Pwn Passwords uh, API is returning. I would imagine it's going to be significantly less than that because it is super efficient and of course it's all broadly compressed uh, coming from Cloudflare too. So let's see, bandwidth, uh, internet egress from the West US, routed via public internet, outbound transfer, um, 32,000 gigabytes. 2,229 US dollars. That's actually not as bad as I thought it would be. So I'd still be 2,200 USD in the hole. So that's that's where the significant portion of the cost is. Then we could go, okay, well, what if you made a billion requests to the API that is served by an Azure function, and then you made a billion queries of the underlying data storage construct, which is blob storage at present, and... Uh, I don't think it would be quite that much off the top of my head because it's a super, super fast, efficient request because it's literally just picking up a blob and returning it. And in fact, I've always I've always sort of thought I could probably skip the Azure function altogether and just pick it up directly from blob storage, maybe with the Cloudflare worker. I mean, now we're back to Cloudflare again. I don't think it would be extraordinarily expensive. If I had to take a real broad guess at it, I would say several thousand USD a month, which I like not paying but it also wouldn't be crazy expensive. As a service to the greater internet, it would actually be pretty good value. But free is even better. Okay, what's up here? Round up to the nearest billion. Yeah, when will we hit the two billion mark? I would really like to think that the growth will be exponential. And I think the more exposure this gets, and particularly once that, that FBI pipeline starts coming on, I'd like to think that more people want to use it because they get more value from it. And honestly, this is one of the things that makes the FBI bit great. It's that it gets used a billion times a month. Every single time 
the FBI passes a password through to Pine Passwords, we get 1 billion opportunities a month <clears throat> to stop someone else from using that same password, which is now out there in the public domain. That's where the value is. That's super cool. All right. What else we got in here? Um, uh, thank you, Nick007, for sending the tweet about the T-Mobile hack. I will check in on that after this. Adventure Matt says, does have I been pwned cope with email alias with the plus symbol? There is a user voice on that. It is the most voted user voice because people are very passionate about that pattern. You will see in that user voice that the short answer is no, it doesn't cope with it in terms of it doesn't strip it and normalize it, but there are very good reasons for that. Also, almost nobody uses it. About every time I check it, it's like 0.03% of email addresses have a plus in them. So it's important to the people that use it. It's extraordinarily rare. It has high implementation overhead for various reasons. Therefore, no, it doesn't at the moment. Maybe in the future, we'll see. Stephen says, would burn up your MSDN Visual Studio credits quickly? <laughs> Not too quickly. I'd almost get a year out of it because as, a, as an RD, I think I get about 18 grand US a year. Um, so maybe it, it'd burn them up, but not too quickly, I don't think. Um, <clears throat> Chris says, love that frameworks like Laravel have pwned passwords built in. So I'm always amazed at all the different places I find pwned passwords. Like it's built into a heap of different places. Uh, I, I have been maintaining a consumer's page on Have I Been Pwned, which effectively listed everyone that wanted to be listed that uses either the Have I Been Pwned API or the Pwned Passwords one. In my next push, I am actually removing that because it started to get old and I was getting a bunch of other people popping up saying, hey, can you include this and you can include that? I just don't have the, the manpower, frankly, to do that. Um, what else are we going to hear? What's the future of poem passwords after reaching a billion? Well, as someone else said, two billion. Um, <laughs> the future of poem passwords in the immediate future is, is the FBI bit and hopefully other law enforcement agencies as well. I have been speaking to a bunch of other... How do we put this without giving it away? A bunch of other parts of the world about contributions to that as well. And I think that that could become a super, super cool thing. Galen says 0.03% of 1 billion is 30 million. Uh, yes. Now, keep in mind, there's much more than a billion email addresses in Have I Been Pwned? And I think what you're trying to do there is say that 30 million is a big number. On its own, 30 million is a big number. In the context of uh, how many, what sort of proportion of people will this change impact? It's still 0.03%, which is still really, really small. So, no, look, have a read of the user voice. There are really good reasons why I can't do this without a very high amount of effort. And at the moment, that's just not feasible. Service is best by £100 a month, but when you deserve some nice stuff from being an MVP and all the work you do. Well, yeah, it's, 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 it's handy. It's handy. All right, I want to talk about one more thing, and this this looked like it was always going to be a bad thing, and it has turned out to be a bad thing, and it is the GunTrader data breach. Now, GunTrader is a service in the UK. It does exactly what it sounds like. It is a legal operating service. There's a lot of periphery stuff around guns. Should you have them? Should you have them? Americans, all the rest of it. <laughs> Doing this in a hour of the day when I don't have Americans on here for the most part. Different topic. The point here is that this site got breached. 111,000 UK firearms owners data was released. That is a data breach that's in Have I Been Pwned as well. 
We've got a, a journo here. I think Gareth is, uh, was he from? Let me get the journo right. He is from the register. Gareth says, bad news about the gun trader hack. Somebody has plotted the list of 111,000 UK firearm owners' addresses as a Google Earth file on a site for hunt saboteurs. This is the worst case scenario. Now, my understanding of hunt saboteurs is this is people who are not real happy about other people going in, let's say in the UK, going on a fox hunt or something like that. Now, again, like let's put aside for a moment whether you think hunting in any form should be allowed or not. The, the risk here, of course, is that when you have a list of gun owners, and, and in the UK, and I know folks on here, many folks are from the UK, you're probably more likely to have a gun as a sports person or a hunter than in the US where you're more likely to have a gun because you have a pulse, right? Like it's, it's a very, very different sort of um, different sort of view of, of guns. Now, I would imagine the concern that, that Gareth is raising here is saying, look, that the risk we have is that this is a, a pretty big red flag to... Um, to hunt saboteurs who might then want to target people directly because their personal identifiable information has been leaked publicly. Now, I'm just going to read the thread because it's quite interesting. He says, uh, here's the original newspaper piece about the hack. He leaks to the register. I'm immediately thinking of Section 58, 1, Terrorism Act of 2000, which makes it a crime to collect information likely to be of use to a terrorist. Max 15-year prison sentence. So I think he's saying here that this could be information which is used to go and obtain weapons which could be used for these purposes. The data is not a pre-formatted KML, as the leak site suggests. It's a 65 megabyte CSV, and it seems to be a light reformatting of the stolen gun trader data. Full names, geographic coordinates of the last location you accessed gun trader from, per the original hack, email addresses, phone numbers, couldn't be worse for the licensed firearms community. And that is a very important point to make here. These are for people who are licensed to have the gun. This is one of the worst mass breaches of personal data I've ever seen. The picture shows an entry from the Google Map CSV based on Bisley Camp. Is that a place, I assume so? That info and more is available down to the individual house level across the whole of the UK's 20% of all UK firearm owners. Now that is alarming. It's very alarming. What makes this infinitely worse is gun trader hack data spanned a five-year period. People have bought and sold houses or moved between rented houses or homes during that period. This puts the risk puts at risk people who may never have picked up a shotgun in their lives. I've just spoken to someone who's in the data breach. His last login to gun trader before the hack was from his parents' home, which is recorded in the stolen data. He's extremely worried for their safety and security. We know that licensed firearm owners are a target for theft. There was an extremely disturbing incident a couple of years ago when a police employee passed information about a gun storage location to an organised crime group. This is like that but for the whole UK. I'm very surprised that neither the BASC or the CA has responded to my multiple attempts to contact them about this over the weekend or today. Now, I'm not familiar with both those acronyms, but I assume that this is effectively firearm owners groups. Um... And then we get a little bit speculative. It may be coincidence, but a shotgun owner's home was ransacked by burglars yesterday who also broke into his gun cabinet. Yes, that may be coincidental. I agree with that. Continuing the thread, gun trader has refused to answer my questions about why it was collecting such precise location data from its users. None of the many users I've spoken to said they're aware this was going on. I bet you it's those lawyers again, isn't it? Lawyers going, just shut up, don't say anything. The ICO is investigating, so 
we'll see what comes out of that. But that that is that is alarming. Like imagine you have that trove of data, and it's like here's all the locations of people who probably have firearms because it could be this guy's parents, or it could be the last house you rented, or something like that. All right, let's see the comments on this. That one is a bit of a mess. Brennan says, gun service, and in the UK, three phrases I did not think I would hear in the same sentence. Uh, that the UK, in my experience, is a lot like Australia, where there there are some guns, they're pretty rare, they're usually sports people or hunters. Uh, it's extraordinarily rare to have gun violence um, or to have someone accidentally shot or to shoot themselves or any, any of those things. It's just, it, it's just nearly unheard of. Stefan, am I late? Yes, I waited, but yeah, sorry. <laughs> I had to start. <laughs> Welcome, Stefan. Stefan, I hope you saw we just hit a billion. So Stefan is taking a lot of responsibility for the ingestion pipeline of the open source component. Have I been paying the FBI I'll be feeding into? I have seen your messages. I've been busy. <laughs> I'll get back to you. I know we're making progress. Good job. Stephen says, would be interesting if they weren't involved in the hack and just used now public information. Are they committing an offence? I think it depends on who it is and what they're doing with it. And there is a really interesting broader question here around what people do with data that has been in a data breach but now is in the public domain. Uh, Now, I'm not a lawyer. I've already expressed my expression or my feelings about lawyers enough times today. But... A lot of this does seem to come down to intent and whether there is harm or good done. And certainly one would imagine that if this data is being used for a hunt saboteurs, as the term was used, and they are doing anything which is illegal and they're using that data for those purposes, it's probably not going to look real good for them. And it says some of the people are also law enforcement or ex-military or serving. So other issues on top of that. The register finds some interesting issues, but using the data that way, there's issues. Uh, I think the stats say that most gun crime is unlicensed. I think a lot of it is in Australia. It's it's less the gun crime that seems to be the, the problem here and a, lo- a lot of the... Um... Or is it? You know, it's, it's, it's such a weird thing because... And again, I think most people watching this on this time zone at the moment are probably the similar view. But it's just such an unusual thing to even hear about guns in Australia. I cannot think of anyone I know that has a gun. Because why would you? We're not in an area where people go hunting. Uh, and we have police here if someone's trying to rob you. <laughs> Let's avoid that slippery slope. All right. What else is happening here? Pilchard123 says, I wonder if the whole gathering data useful for terrorism thing, in this case because hunt saboteurs could be paralysed into threatening violence for politics, then to... Ter- it just feels like a stretch, doesn't it? I mean, terrorism is always the emotive term, but is terrorism something that we can apply to people using data stolen from a legal gun trading web? I'm just, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure about that one. Burton says, weekly update... For, uh, 260, which would be next week, is the fifth anniversary of weekly updates. Are you doing anything special? Maybe get together with you, Charlotte and Scott. I shall make a note of that. That's that is actually a good idea. I had not noticed. I'm going to put it here on my list. This is five year anniversary. Uh, I I should do some sort of reflection <laughs> or something like that. Thanks, mate. I'll think of something. 
Stefan, on the gun trader breach, it's one of those scary ones. Most breaches aren't all that serious, but this one has a lot of value for certain types of criminals. So it's scary in that sense. I think one of the things that's sort of scary about it is, let's say in this case that, that Gareth tweeted here, he said it may be coincidence, but a shotgun owner's home was ransacked by burglars yesterday who also broke into his gun cabinet. It may be coincidental, but it may not be. But how do you tell? You know, short of the perpetrators being caught and I guess getting the getting the, I don't know, how do you how do you grill people in this stuff in the UK? Um, being confronted with very specific questions by law enforcement. Let's <laughs> say so that way. I was going to say about being waterboarded or something. I don't think you do that in the UK. But short of actually getting some sort of mission out of, out of perpetrators like this, I, I don't know how you would actually relate that incident, that particular gun theft, back to the gun trader website. It's like, Maybe that happened. Maybe it didn't. Maybe someone followed a gun owner home and then, you know, followed them home from a hunt somewhere and then knew that they had a gun and then broke in later on. Who knows? Pilch also says, I don't think I've seen any SABs charged with terrorism. I assume SABs are saboteurs. But in my layman's mind, I could see a sufficiently motivated uh, CPS trying it. Not, not sure what CPS is, but yeah. Oh, yeah, Brendan, confession. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Trying to get a confession. All right, look, time will tell on that one. These tweets from Gareth were literally just yesterday. So let's let's see how this one unfolds. But that's, that is a little bit of an interesting one. All right, folks, look, I've been going for about an hour now. So I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, I promise some form of celebratory beer or drink or something like that for the pwned passwords, one billion. Uh, so I think it is my responsibility to go and have that beer. Thank you again for watching today. I hope it's been interesting. I know there's been a, a big mix of stuff in there from holidays through to Scott with patent trolls and getting in trouble for copying someone's signature. He didn't even copy it. All he did is post what he was sent. Anyway, let's move on with that. Next week will be 260 per Burton's point, the five-year anniversary. So I'll try and do something cool then. So thank you very much for watching. I will see you next week. <laughs>